0: We're going to continue uh, our evening explorations into the book of Joshua. And this evening we're looking at uh, chapters 9 and 10. I'm going to read chapter 9 nine now, starting at verse 3, a little bit like Brian last week. I'll, As much as I can, it's selected verses. <laughs> so we're going to go from 3 to 15, as you can see there. However, when the people of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and I, they resorted to a ruse. They went as a delegation whose donkeys were loaded with worn-out sacks and old wineskins, cracked and mended. The men put worn and patched sandals on their feet and wore old clothes. All the bread of their food supply was dry and moldy. Then they went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal and said to him and the men of Israel, We have come from a distant country. Make a treaty with us. The men of Israel said to the Hivites, But but perhaps you live near us. How then can we make a treaty with you? We are your servants, they said to Joshua. But Joshua asked, who are you and where do you come from? They answered, your servants have come from a very distant country because of the fame of the Lord your God, for we have heard reports of him, all that he did in Egypt and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, Sion king of Heshbon and Og king of Bashan who reigned in Ashtaroth. And our elders and all those living in our country said to us, take provisions for your journey, go and meet them and say to them, we are your servants, make a treaty with us. This bread of ours was warm when we packed it at home on the day we left to come to you. Um, But now we see how dry and and moldy, but now you see how dry and moldy it is. And and these wineskins that we filled were new but see how cracked they are, and our clothes and sandals are are worn out by the very long journey. The men of Israel sampled their provisions, but did not inquire of the Lord. Then Joshua made a treaty of peace with them to let them live, and the leaders of the assembly ratified it by oath. Moving on to verse 22. Then Joshua summoned the Gibeonites and said, Why did you deceive us by saying, We live a long way from you? Well, actually, you live near us. You are now under a curse. You will never cease to serve as woodcutters and water carriers for the house of my God. They answered Joshua, Joshua, Your servants were clearly told how the Lord your God had commanded his servant Moses to give you the whole land and to wipe out all its inhabitants from before you. So we feared for our lives because of you, and that is why we did this. We are now in your hands. Do to us whatever seems good and right to you. So Joshua saved them from the Israelites. And they did not kill them. And uh, so now we're going to look at uh, chapter 10. Uh, we're going to start at uh, verse 7 through to 14, as you can see on the screen. And then uh, move on to the closing three verses of that same chapter. So, Joshua marched up from Gilgal with his entire army including all the best fighting men. The Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. After an all-night march from Gilgal, Joshua took them by surprise. The Lord threw them into confusion before Israel, who defeated them in a great victory at Gibeon. Israel pursued them along the road going up to Beth Horon and cut them down all the way to Azekar and Makedah. As they fled before Israel on the road down from Beth Horon to Azekar, the Lord hurled large hailstones down on them from the sky. And more of them died from the hailstones than were killed by the swords of the Israelites. On the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, O sun, stand still over Gibeon, O moon over the valley at Ajalon. So the sun stood still, and the moon stopped, till the nation avenged itself on its enemies, as it is written in the book of Jashal. The sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. There has never been a day like it before or since, a day when the Lord listened to a man, Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. Final three verses. So Joshua subdued the whole region, including the hill country, the Negev, the western foothills, and the mountain slopes, together with all their kings. He left no survivors. He totally destroyed all who breathed, just as the Lord, the God of Israel, had commanded. Joshua subdued them from Kadesh, Barnea to Gaza and from the whole region of Goshan to Gibeon. All these kings and their lands Joshua conquered in one campaign because the Lord, the God of Israel, fought for Israel. Then Joshua returned with all Israel to the camp at Gilgal. Mm. So um, last week Brian took us through the uh, section when the people of Israel are able with God's help to defeat the people of Ai and in uh, 9 and uh, 10 we can see that the the word has got around about the new kids on the block and all the amazing things that have happened to them and quite frankly the locals don't like the sounds of it at all And they decide the best form of defence is attack. So the different kings with their people from a a great alliance made up of, and I didn't read this earlier, but it's Hittites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites and Jebusites, uh, so that they can properly rout these uh, former slaves, the Israelites, and carry on in their usual way of life without any reference to this new god that they've heard so much about. Sounds like a good plan. And the people of Gibeon, well, they decide to take a bit of a different route. One of deception. And they play a rather dangerous version of dress-up and (laughs) role-play. And, well, basically, they just lie uh, to the people of Israel and their leaders. And because they know that Israel will destroy them if they know the truth. So they pretend and they tell a series of lies. Lie one. We've come from a very distant country. We're about 25 miles down the road. Lie two. The bread was warm when they left, and now it's moldy. Lie three. Wineskins were new when we left, but now they're cracked and we've had to mend them. Lie four. Our clothes and sandals, well, they're they're worn out clearly from the uh, long and arduous journey that we've had to travel. Now, if the Israelites had uh, really thought about this, they would have realised this was utter nonsense. What ambassadorial delegation doesn't bring a gift or something like that? Who who doesn't pack sufficient food and drink supplies or spare clothes? And and who carries mouldy bread? Why would you bother? It, 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 didn't, it didn't occur to me to begin with, but that's nonsense <laughs> to carry it. But the Israelites are taken in, and uh, for one simple reason. At that point, they decided to live by sight and not by faith. In verse 14, we read, The men of Israel sampled their provisions but they did not inquire of the Lord. They checked the Gibeonites, looked at what they wore, looked at what they had with them, and they let that sway them to deviate from God's command. In Deuteronomy 7, we read of that very command, that instruction, which is when the Lord your God brings you into the land, you are entering to possess And drives out before you many nations, seven nations stronger than you. You must destroy them totally. Make no treaty with them. So it's quite clear what they should have done. But they chose at that moment to live by sight and not by faith. To be taken in by what was in front of them. They're living by sight, not by faith. They had a decision to make here. And what they didn't do was inquire of the Lord, and that's made very, very clear. Now, it's also very easy for us, don't you find, to look at Joshua in this situation and the other leaders and criticise them. What What were they thinking? What idiots to be taken in like that? To go against a very specific command given to them. What idiots. How easily they were deceived. How could they forget God's command? How could they not have consulted with God? I think we have to stand back here and, and ask, am I so very different? How easily we are deceived by the things This world presents to us as truth when it's not. For example, if it makes you feel happy, it must be good. Um, Another, everything is relative, so truth is only true for you. Um, Image is everything. I could go on. The point is, we can just as easily be sucked in and deceived and forget God's promises and his instructions. How easy also it is for us at a point of decision-making to go with our own ideas and not consult with God. James 1 verse 5 reads, If you do not have wisdom, you should ask God for it. I think sometimes we may not... Inquire of the Lord, because of a heart of disobedience. If we're honest, and we don't pray because we don't want God to say no to what we want. Uh, if I don't ask, then uh, He hasn't said no. So, rather like a child with a with a parent, whether it's willful or neglect, uh, to not consult with God when needing to make a decision is as we see with Joshua, it's foolhardy. It's whether whether you're the leader of a a people of Israel in the early Bronze Age, or whether it's you or I today. In verse 18, we read, Then Joshua made a treaty of peace with them to let them live, and the leaders of the assembly ratified it by oath. It takes them three days to realise That they've been duped and it's at this point surprise surprise the people of Israel begin to grumble shocker they uh, have quite a track record of grumbling when things aren't quite as they would like I expect they grumbled at their leaders for making such a stupid decision but what I had noticed was that there was no grumbling at the leaders for not inquiring of the Lord. They didn't go, no, that's not what we, you know, God said. There was no grumbling that the leaders weren't following God's instruction. No, the point at which they started to grumble was when it occurred to them that they couldn't do what they wanted to the people of Gibeon which was basically to attack and destroy them. And it strikes me that it's important here at Brighton Raids to make sure we we challenge one another in love, and that's really important, when decisions being made are perhaps not godly. The Israelite people didn't, and uh, a bad decision was made. They then went on to grumble When things didn't go the way that they wanted. And we all have that potential within us to whinge, to criticise, to moan. And we must really guard against it, don't you think? Live by faith, not by sight. But interestingly, the leaders they stay true to their word and they honour the treaty. The promise is kept. And the people of Gibeon are saved. Now, on the one hand, you could say that Gibeon is saved because they lied and they deceived their way to their own salvation. But that's, only tr- that's, not, the only, that's not only the, the case here, really. They, uh, like Rahab at Jericho, saw the truth of God and who he is, and they wanted to serve that God. They submitted to Israel, and in so doing, submitted to the God of Israel and set aside their own gods. They avoided judgment by throwing themselves on God's mercy and sought peace. And in verse 22, to the end of the chapter, Joshua honors that they become woodcutters and water carriers for the community and for the altar of the Lord. Now, I've read that it is thought that uh, the Gibeonites are the uh, group of people that are later referred to as uh, temple servants. And these are written about in 1 Chronicles, uh, in Ezra and in Nehemiah, just to give a few examples. Interestingly, these uh, temple servants went with the people of Israel when they were sent into exile. And similarly, they actually returned with them also. The Gibeonites, it would seem, remained loyal servants. Somehow, out of the mistake... Of Joshua and the other leaders and the people of Israel, God was able to make good from it. Isn't that God's grace shown right there? God uses the mistakes we make for a good we can never have foreseen. There are times when we plow on, quite determined to do the to things our own way. and isn't it right? Uh, and life's journey isn't what we plan, but out of our mistake, uh, God can do. Amazing things. He doesn't give up on us or leave us saying, Well, you've made your bed, now lie in it. God's grace is so far reaching that even when we live by sight, He works so that we might be restored to be a people living by faith. So, chapter 9 alone has much to teach, but in, in chapter 10, we find these new allies of Israel and Gibeon. Or the new um, allies of Gibeon are now in trouble. The king of Jerusalem is alarmed by this new alliance between Gibeon and Israel. And so he joins forces with four other kings to work against Gibeon and attack it. And the Gibeonites uh, cry out to Joshua. In verse 6, do not abandon your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us. It is the Hebrew... I'm um, sorry, I'll say that again. The name, as I'm sure a number of you know, uh, of Joshua, literally means the Lord is saviour or saves. It's the Hebrew form of the Greek name, Jesus. Joshua, interestingly sends not just his army but the best also to these allies to help them to save them but actually it's ultimately it's god that does the work it's god that confuses the enemy in verse 10 it is god that sends hail in verse 11 that actually kills more than the israelite soldiers and it is god that causes the sun to stand still in verse 13 to enable the Israelites to have time to defeat defeat the enemy. Joshua responds to the cries of Gibeon, and it is indeed the Lord who saves. What also strikes me is this contrast between chapter 9 and 10. In chapter 9, there was Joshua making mistakes, not consulting with God, living by sight, not by faith, but how well he seems to have learned his lesson come chapter 10. Because in verse 12, it is Joshua that calls out to the Lord to stay the sun, to stop it moving until the nation avenged itself over its enemies. What a prayer. Much as I'd, I'd like there to be more hours in a day sometimes, I'm not at all convinced I have that faith <laughs> to, uh, to pray that sort of rather serious prayer. And if I'm honest, I don't understand what's gone on there in terms of celestial how, how that works. Um, Tim is here, but don't ask him because he's on holiday. But when he gets back, you might like to. The key thing is, though, that Joshua has moved from that place of living by sight to living by faith again. Uh, he's that restored, and he prays that amazing prayer, and what's wonderful is that God answers it. God responds and rather spectacularly. Now, I'm not saying that God always answers our prayers in the way that we want, but uh, quite simply, praying does seem to make all the difference. If we want to know God's will, we should pray. If we need to know the right course of action, we should pray. If we want to see lives changed for good, we should pray. It's as simple and as challenging as that. Live by faith, not by sight. The rest of chapter 10 is what happens to those five kings in that alliance and to those people who occupy the land of Canaan. It's not very pretty. It does seem to speak of genocide. Um, Again, I defer you to uh, Tim on that rather tricky one in terms of the the ethics of all that. Although you might like to hear, David and I discovered there's some interesting notes in the youth Bible uh, that you might like to uh, care to look at. But I want us to remember that Deuteronomy 7 passage said that the nations that stood against Israel were greater than they. And yet it is the people of Israel that are triumphant. But is it? Actually, time and time again in this chapter 10, it's made clear who truly has the victory. Verse 30, the Lord gave that city. Verse 32, the Lord handed Lakesha And most emphatically in verse 42, all these kings and their lands Joshua conquered in one campaign because the Lord, the God of Israel, fought for Israel. How much can be achieved when we let God lead us? How much God does if he's followed by a people of prayer? Let us be grateful that God can that God can and does still use us even when we make mistakes. And let us praise him for he clearly is able to do immeasurably more than we could ever imagine.